Well, how are we doing, Hope City Church? Good? Good to see you this morning. I hope everybody had an amazing spring break. Maybe you went out of town. Maybe you stayed in town. It's all good. Just hope you had a good, uh, a good time. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here and uh, excited we get to, uh, get to be together. I'm going to jump into the message in just a second, but before I do that, um, I want to just give you an exciting update. Uh, some of you guys have been asking, but uh, in August, and maybe in October, I need to check, but uh, it was, what was it, August? Yeah. In August of last year, we announced some really exciting news that we were opening our first Shiloh's Coffee House in, uh, in Shepherdsville, kind of in conjunction with the campus that we launched down there. And so we've been doing construction, and the winter was cold, and there were some delays and some inspections and all kinds of good stuff. But we have finally turned the corner. The walls are up. It's starting to really look like a coffee house. We've Completely renovated, 2,000 square feet down there, right across from the courthouse. And, uh, and so I know most of you are in South Louisville or on the East End. And so at some point, hopefully, you'll get a chance to be able to be down there. But if you live in the Hillview area or anywhere kind of near it, uh, we're going to be letting you know about our grand, grand opening. We got all the social media stuff up. You can go fi- fi- uh, follow everything. Just, just look on our social media. But we're just excited because um, this is going to allow us to do a lot of things. But the purpose behind why we're doing it is hopefully this is the first of many ways that we can use these entrepreneurial gifts that God has put in us and these dreams that God has put in us in business uh, to fund orphanages and churches around the world. So our, our passion and our prayer is that God would help us to be able to use 100% of the profits to be able to build orphanages and churches around the world. And so this has been an exciting ride, even just getting us to this point, but in the next six to eight weeks. We're hoping to have the doors open, and uh, we'll have a big grand opening, and so we definitely want you to come and buy stuff or something like that, uh, which would be good. Uh, But you're going to be hearing a lot about it. I just wanted to give you guys uh, an update about it, and uh, so you could be praying with us and just be following along and uh, and be excited with us, okay? We are in the 10th week of the 10th part of this series that we're calling The Goat, which is all about Jesus. We got this week and two more weeks where we're reading through the book of John together and reading the stories and the teachings and the miracles of Jesus. And the reason we're doing it is so that we would fall more in love with Jesus, that we would believe more in Jesus, that that as we read these teachings and read these stories and read these miracles, that something would happen in our hearts and we would believe in him more and we would love him more. Now, there are four books in the New Testament that are specifically about The life of Jesus, we call these the Gospels. Maybe you're familiar with this. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all give an account or a story of Jesus' life from a different vantage point. But the book of John is written specifically so that we would believe in Jesus supernaturally, supernaturally, believe that he is God and that he left heaven and he came to earth and he lived here as a human a sinless life, and that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And because of everything that I just said to you, we can know God. That's how we know God. That's how we have a relationship with God is we believe in Jesus, that he is who he says he is and that he did what I just said that he did. And that allows us, if we believe that, to know God. That's why John wrote the 21 chapters in his book, and that's what's happening to us as we read it uh, together, that we believe in him and that we get a chance to know God. It's not being a good person that allows us to know God. It's not giving money that allows us to know God. It's not being a church attender that allows us to know God. None of those things. All good things, 
But what allows us and gives us the opportunity to have relationship with God is Jesus Christ. And I love the way that Ephesians 2.8 says it. It says that God saved you by his grace when you not behaved. Some of y'all need to hear that this morning. Listen up. God saved you by his grace, not when you behaved, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. No part of your salvation can you pat yourself on the back. You can't do it. There's no way you can be prideful and be a Christian because the only thing you bring to your salvation is your sin. That's it. Jesus did it all. And so he allows us to know God. We've been reading about that and finding out about that. And when you hear about that, you can't help but just love him a little bit more. And so today, we have reached John 17, John chapter 17. And under the seat in front of you, there is a Bible. If you want to pull that out, we'd love for you to follow along with us and read this chapter with us together. The page numbers are on your, uh, are on your sermon guide. You can, uh, you can follow along with us. And as you're finding that, I want to ask you a question today, and uh, it's, it's, it's an important question. And I'm not sure if anyone has ever asked you this question before, but here's the question. Are you ready? Do you believe that Jesus likes you? Do you believe that Jesus likes you? I'm not asking, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Because maybe you've heard before, or maybe you learned a song as a kid about the fact that Jesus does love you. But maybe you have people in your life that you love, but you don't necessarily like all that much, you know? Maybe they're family. Maybe you got to love them. And maybe sometimes it feels as if God feels that way about you. Well, he's got to love us, you know? I mean, he, he's got he's to love us. I mean, yeah, I mean, he loves us, but I don't feel like he, he, he likes me. Maybe you think Jesus feels that way about you. And this is such an important question because how you feel, God feels about you, determines so much of how you feel about God. That was a tongue twister. Let me say it again, okay? How you feel, God feels about you, determines so much of how you feel about God. And I read, uh, I read this uh, this joke or this story slash joke on the internet a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was so great. The internet's undefeated. This is too good not to share with you to just kind of make this point to us. What I want to do is I want to read to you the diary of a dog, a dog's diary. How many dog lovers in the room do we have? Come on, let me see your hands. Yeah, a lot of you. Well, I'm going to read to you a dog's diary, and then I'm going to read to you a cat's diary. How many cat lovers do we have in the room? Come on. Don't trust these people. Look at these hands. Don't trust these people, okay? You saw them. They just told on themselves. Here we go. So this is taken from a dog's diary. Are you ready? Here we go. 8 a.m., dog food, my favorite thing. 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing. 10.30 a.m., got rubbed and petted, my favorite favorite thing. 12 p.m., milk bones. My favorite thing. 3 p.m., wagged my tail. My favorite thing. 7 p.m., got to play ball. My favorite thing. 8 p.m., wow, watch TV with the people. My favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on my bed. My favorite thing. Now, that 
is a dog's diary. Now, what I want to do to you is I want to read to you a cat's diary. Are you ready? Here we go. Cat's diary. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. They dine lavishly on fresh meat while the other inmates and I are fed hash and some sort of dry nugget. Although I make my contempt for the rations perfectly clear, I nevertheless must eat something in order to keep up my strength for the rebellion. (laughs) When it comes to your relationship with God, I wonder, do you feel more like a dog or a cat? I wonder, like in the exchange, in the emotion of your relationship with God, do you feel as if so many of your experiences with God are your favorite thing? That there is a relationship, a love, a like between you and your God? Or in some way has it become captivity? In some way have you been trapped? In some way has someone that you loved made you come and so you ended up having to stick around because now they sucked you into like a serving or something, you know? Do you feel more like a dog or do you feel more like a cat? Well, in John 17 today, we are going to read some of the most remarkable and important words in the Bible. And I got to be honest with you and just admit to you that while I have followed Jesus for almost 20 years, for many, many, many years, I missed the words that I'm going to read to you today. I don't know how I missed them because I had read them. I'm sure I had read them because I had read through the Bible, but you know, the Bible's a living book, and so there are times that you read something, and you're like, I've never seen that before. Have you ever had that happen to you? Well, I must admit to you that for years, I missed what I read to you today, but when, a few years ago, I read this and saw it, kind of like really realized it for the first time, it changed everything. I mean, dramatically. Changed the way that I felt like God felt about me. And so we're going to read all of John 17, but I want just for a moment, would you look at verse 23? Just look at verse 23. It's on page 899 if you have one of our Bibles. Verse 23, Jesus is talking to God about you now, okay? And this is what he says. He says, I am in them and you are in me, talking to God. May they, talking about you, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, and here it is, And that you love them as much as you love me. (laughs) Are you kidding me? How have we not made this the major marketing ploy of the church? I mean, this needs to be the new John 3.16. This needs to be the new poster board at all the football games. Did you just see it? Did you read it? Jesus just said, I don't know if you saw it. Jesus just said that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. How much do you think God loves Jesus? Jesus is his son. We know a couple of times when God interrupted what was happening on earth to speak from heaven and say, hey, that's my boy. He brings me so much joy. I'm so pleased with him. I love him. Okay, that's how God feels about Jesus. Jesus just said in verse 23, may they know that that you love them as much as you love me. 
God loves you like he loves Jesus. And this just sets up, just so beautifully, just perfectly sets up what we're going to read together in John 17. Now, just so you know what's happening, Jesus knows in just a few hours, literally, we're going to turn the page, he's going to get arrested, okay? So in a few hours, Jesus is going to be arrested, and he's just kind of last minute trying to prepare the disciples for what's happening and what's going to happen. And, uh, and he's done with all of that part of it, and now what he's doing is he's praying, He's praying for his disciples. This is the last thing that he does before he is arrested. He prays for his disciples. And so he's praying, and his disciples are sleeping, which is just kind of the way it has always been. We've never understood the gravity of the moment. God does. And so Jesus is praying, and the disciples are sleeping, and Jesus is praying for them. But what's amazing about John 17 is that Jesus is not just praying for these 11 disciples. Judas has already gone. He's about to come with some soldiers. So he's gone. So there's now 11 disciples. Jesus in John 17 is not just praying for these 11 disciples. He's praying for you. Let me show you. Verse 20. We're still in 17. We're going to start at the beginning, I promise. But look at verse 20 real quick. I'm praying, Jesus is talking here, I'm praying not only for these disciples, he's talking about these 11. I'm, I'm not praying just for these disciples, but also for all, everybody say all, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So Jesus says, I'm praying now for these 11, and I'm praying for every person from now on who will ever believe in me. I want you to understand this, that the words that we are going to read in John 17 is Jesus praying for you, for you. If you're here today and you believe in Jesus, what we're going to read is Jesus praying for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of someone praying for you, like out loud praying for you, passionately praying for you. I hope you have. When I think about somebody praying for me, I think about my grandmother, uh, my, my dad's mom, both grandmothers, both grandparents for that matter, were passionate prayers, our passionate prayers and are amazing, but, the, but particularly, I call her Mima. Mima Isaacs, I can think of so many times in my life when she prayed for me, either on the phone, so I would hear her praying for me, or in her living room, because I was her favorite of all her grandchildren. We would stay up and talk, and, and, and she would pray for me. And, and, and Mima, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when Mima prayed for you, you felt it. Okay, now it could have been because she was like, you know, like, pressing you to the ground or something, but it also was because of just the power of God in her life, that when somebody is a passionate prayer privately, then they start praying publicly, it just kind of, they can't help it, you know, and so she would pray for me, and just, it was so powerful, and I never had to worry if somebody was praying for me, because I knew Meemaw was praying for me, and so maybe you have someone like that, if not, I would encourage you to come forward for prayer every now and then and let someone here in the church pray for you. But it's powerful when you know someone is praying for you. It's powerful when you hear someone praying for you. A few nights ago, Andrea and the, the girls were gone to an event, and I had put the boys to bed. And, and so it was just me, and, and I was praying in my living room. And, uh, and, and this doesn't normally happen. It's not, I mean, it's not a regular occurrence, but sometimes it does that as I'm praying. You know, I, I just feel led to, to pray for specific people. I'm a believer that if you're praying and somebody comes to mind, 
That's God saying, hey, pray for that person. You know, I can't prove that necessarily in the Bible, but that's just how I kind of feel. So, all right, I'm going with it. And, uh, and so I'm praying you tonight, and, and I, I have a prayer list. Like, I'm old school. I actually have on a piece of paper things I'm praying for because I'm ADD, and I'll forget. And, and so I'm praying through my list. But as I was praying through my list, like, I, I had people come to mind that I felt like, oh, I want to pray for them. And, and, uh, and a lot of them were, were you. Like, I was began praying for people in the church that specifically I felt like God was was, was just bringing to my heart, you know? And I want you to know that, that I pray for you. I want you to know that your leaders pray for you, your pastors and campus pastor prays for you, and your elders pray for you, that there are people in this church who are praying for you. I don't know how that makes you feel, but I hope it makes you feel loved and encouraged and supported. But as great as that is to know that your leaders, your pastors, your elders are praying for you, I want you to take that and I want you to multiply it by like a thousand, by like a hundred thousand, okay? That's what it's like to know that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. I love this quote that uh, I read about John 17. It's from an old Scottish theologian. His name's Robert Murray McKine. And this is what he said. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. So I want you to imagine that Jesus, you, you go home today, you go to your house, you walk in the door, and you hear someone, and you don't know at first what it is, but you realize it's someone praying, and they're praying out loud, and they're praying passionately, and you go, and you look, and you peek through the door, and, and you see, even though you've never seen him before, you're pretty sure I think that's Jesus, and you hear him praying for you, like he's saying your name. And he's praying for your marriage, and he's praying for your parenting, and he's praying for your career, and he's praying for your money, and he's praying for how you face temptation, and he's praying for what you're going to face tomorrow at work, and he's praying for that boss you can't stand, and he's praying for your bank account, and he's praying for, you know, your, your, your soul. He's praying for you, and you're standing there like you're in the hallway, but he's in the room, and you hear him praying for you. If that happened to you this afternoon, what would you feel? What would you feel to know that Jesus it's praying for you. Well, I don't know how you would feel, but however you would feel, that's what's happening in John 17. Is everybody with me? Okay, so here we go. John 17. You didn't say yes, but I'm going to assume you said yes. Here we go. John 17. I'm excited about this because Jesus is praying for me. I'm trusting that you will get excited by the end. Here we go. Verse 1. Okay. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you, for you have given him authority. He's talking in third person here. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him, verse 3, and this is the way to have eternal life. He's going to say it again. You know the word believe is in the book of John 99 times. Here it is again. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. It's the only way to have eternal life. He says it again. Verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Skip down to verse 9. Here's what it says, verse 9. My prayer, so here he goes. He's starting the prayer. My prayer is not for the world, for those you have given me. So he's not praying like for the world in general. Hey, for all of time, and, you know, he's not praying for the world in general. No, he's praying for everyone who believes, those you have given me, those are believers in Jesus, because they belong to you, 
Verse 10, all who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Verse 11, now I am departing from the world. Literally, he's leaving in four days. Now I'm departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name. Let's stop. We just saw Jesus's, and we just read Jesus's first prayer for you, if you want to write this in on your sermon guide, the first prayer that Jesus prays, he actually prays five specific prayers for you and for me. Here's the first one. Jesus prays a prayer for protection. A prayer for protection. Did you see it there in verse 11? They are staying in this world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. You've given me your name. Now, protect them. Jesus asks God to protect you by the power of his of his name. This is pretty remarkable. We actually have a security team here at the church. They're, they're not in uniform. They're totally stealth, right? They're like totally stealth. They're, they're legit, right? But we have a security team here, and uh, I was talking to one of the guys in the first service, and, uh, and, and his responsibility is to stay close to me. I don't know. I guess he thinks I can't defend myself. I'm not exactly sure, but, um, but he was joking around, and he said, hey, he was totally kidding, but he said, hey, if anything happens, like, I'm, my job is to jump in front of you and take the bullet. Do you think that'll get me into heaven? I was like, totally. I mean, <laughs> Jesus and taking a bullet for Jason will totally get you into heaven, okay? And, um, but I want you to imagine for just a moment that you lived your life, and you had, like, private security, disguise, like, you know, in street clothes at all times, and no one knew that they were with you, but you knew they were with you. At all times. And, and, and so you, you knew, like, I'm totally protected by top-of-the-line security. And if anybody messes with me, they have no idea what's coming to them, right? How, how would you act? How would you live? When a way, Jesus is saying, God, I'm praying that you would protect them under your name. Like, by God's name, protect them. That's, that should make you feel protected. Now, when I read that, that Jesus prayed for, um, for God to protect me, I initially thought of two things. The first thing I thought of is that pain, protection doesn't mean pain-free, right? Jesus didn't say, God, I pray that they would be pain-free. He said, I pray that they would be, I pray they would be protected. Look at verse 15, if you still got your Bibles open, verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. In other words, Jesus is saying, like, if I wanted you to be pain-free, I would just take you with me. We'd all just go to heaven. You get saved, you automatically go to heaven. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm going to leave them here, and this world's messed up, so it's going to be kind of crazy. But God, I pray that they would be kept safe while they're in, in this world. Every good parent knows that for your child to develop, they have to encounter adversity. Right? I may have made an assumption there. Let me back up. For your child to develop, they have to encounter adversity. If you keep your child from encountering any adversity, you will always have a child, no matter how old they are, right? And so every parent knows, like, I don't want you to have to face any trouble, but you have to face some trouble in order to become who it is that you need to become. Well, your heavenly Father knows the same thing about you. And so Jesus is not praying that we would never face trouble or pain. Matter of fact, he says in other places that those are the opportunities for our faith to grow. We can be confident that no matter what we are facing, we are protected. But that doesn't mean that we don't feel or face 
some things. But the second thing that I thought of when I read that Jesus prayed for God to protect me, the second thought I had was, what about the times that I wasn't protected? I'm sure all of us could give examples of times in our life when we felt like God dropped the ball or let us down or didn't have our back. What about the cancer? What about the time the the kid died? What about the time that there was the car wreck? What about the betrayal? If Jesus prayed for my protection, then why didn't God protect me? And even Jesus felt this way a little bit hanging on the cross, and it's a valid question, but it's a short-sighted question. Because the truth is there are a million attacks of the enemy coming against your life every single day that God protects you from, and you have no idea that they were even coming at you. The Bible says we've got this spiritual fight going on that we're just unaware of. It's happening for our lives. And so if you don't know what to pray, a good thing to pray is like, God, thank you for protecting me from all the attacks of the enemy that I'm not even aware of in my life, because that's true. But there are times we face some things But the God who is in charge of protecting us is the only one in charge enough to allow things to get through his protection in order for us to face them. That should make you feel comforted. And that if I'm facing it, it it some way has to be for my good, even though we don't understand that. In some way, there has to be purpose for pain. And it means that God believes in some way that I'm able to handle whatever it is that I'm facing and feeling because he allowed me to, uh, to encounter it. And so we can walk with confidence every day knowing that we are protected by God because Jesus prayed for our protection. But let me give you another one. The second prayer that Jesus prayed, we just stay right there in verse 11. He says, I'm departing the world, staying in the world, but I'm coming to you. Holy Father, you've given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united, united just as we are. The second prayer that Jesus prayed for you and me is unity. He prayed a prayer for unity. Now, we're two prayers in here, uh, and it dawns on me that Jesus prayed totally different than we pray, right? He hasn't hit spouses or pay raises yet, and we're two prayers in, right? He prays for protection and unity. It may seem like a strange prayer. Why, Why would Jesus pray for our unity? But I can't think of a more important prayer in the time that we live when everybody's lost their minds than a prayer for unity, In other words, Jesus is saying there are a million reasons for you to be divided, but let me give you one reason why you should be united, Jesus. And every person who believes in Jesus has the ultimate unifier, the right to know God. So if you get with people of different political parties, social parties, ethnic parties, and you can't find anything to agree on, but you do know that everybody in the room believes in Jesus, let me tell you what you can agree upon. We get to know God. And that trumps everything else. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No, you got to figure it out and work it out. But Jesus is supposed to unify us. Unfortunately, the church hasn't been the best at this. We can be divisive. We can be ugly, petty, split churches over stupid things. Never intended to be that way. And if you want to know why Jesus would be so passionate about prayer that he would include it, our unity, that he would include it in his prayer, skip down to verse 21. If you still got your Bible open, he says, I pray, Jesus talking, I pray that they will be all one, all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that, here's why, the world will believe you sent me. This is nuts. Jesus says that 
the, the, the most convincing argument that Jesus is real is unity. It's not Facebook posts. It's not Easter services. It's not sidewalk preachers. It's not government officials. It's not prayer in schools. It's not laws. It's none of those things. Jesus said, the most convincing argument that I am real is that a world would look onto a group of people who have a million reasons to be divided but are united because of me. And the world would look on and say, what is it about Jesus that could bring all of these different groups of people together? And they would believe that it's real. Unfortunately, maybe the opposite has happened. We go, Jesus, we're championing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They look on at the church at large and say, there's nothing really different about your group than my group. Really. So Jesus says that unity, unity is what brings us together. But unity requires humility. Unity requires compromise. Everybody wants to be unified, but nobody wants to compromise. (laughs) Nobody wants to be humble. And so maybe there's an area of your life where there's no unity. Maybe there's an ex-spouse. Maybe there's a custody battle. Maybe, Maybe there's a boss. Maybe there's a relative, and there's no unity, even though you both claim to believe in Jesus. Where could you take on humility? And where could your example of striving for unity prove that Jesus is real? You find yourself in that, in that feeling or in that place today. Know that Jesus prayed for you to be unified. Let me give you another one. Verse, uh, verse 13. Third prayer, Jesus prayed for us. Now I'm coming to you, verse 13. I told them many things while I was with them in this world. These are all the things we've read over the last 10 weeks. So they would be filled with my joy. In other words, Jesus is saying, third prayer, he's praying a prayer that you would have joy, that you would be filled with joy. He said, I told them all these things. Literally, these 11 disciples, while they were with me, I told them all these things. We've got the book. And so what Jesus is, is praying is that as we read his teaching and as we watch what he did and learn from what he did, that every time we turn the page and every time we read, something happens in our heart and that we are filled with joy. Hopefully we feel joy, F-E-E-L, but even if we don't feel joy, Jesus prays that we would be filled, F-I-L-L-E-D, with joy. Joy is not the same thing as happiness. We know this. That, that happiness comes from happenings. There's 10 reasons in your life right now why you're not happy, and they're all valid reasons for why you shouldn't be happy because they're terrible and they stink. But happiness is not joy. Joy comes from Jesus. Joy comes from Jesus. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't even manufacture it on your own. It's got to be given by the Spirit of God. And so joy comes from Jesus. What that means is that whatever we are facing, people say, you've got cancer, you're going through a divorce, you lost your job. How is it that you have joy? The reason we're able to have joy, the Bible says it's kind of like a well within our souls. We can tap into it. The reason that we have joy is because we know we have Jesus. We know that we can know God, that we cannot be separated from God. So no matter what it is we face or whatever it is we come against or whatever the scenario we're walking through is, we cannot be separated from God. And so we can have joy. You can come at my body, but you cannot separate me from God. You can come at my family, but you cannot separate me from God. 
You can come at my bank account, but you cannot separate me from God. And so we know something the world does not know, and so we're able to sit back in a chair on our back porch or lay in our bed or, or drive down the road with no reason at all to be happy, but every reason to have joy. Because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And we get to know God. And so Jesus says to God, God, I pray that they would be filled, overflowing with the realization that they got me, which means they get you. And that will bring them, that will bring them joy. Let's look at number four. The fourth prayer that Jesus prayed for you and me is in verse 17. Just two more. Here we go. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. So he prayed for our protection. He prayed for our unity. He prayed for our joy. And those are all great. But if that's where he stopped, it would kind of feel like we're watching the movie Trolls or something. Like everybody just get along and protection, unity, and joy. Woo. Okay, now he comes truth. He comes with truth. He comes with truth. He says, I just don't want them to know that, like, they're going to be okay. And I just don't want them to know that they should be unified and, and, and find unity. I don't want them to just know that joy. I want them, while they are here, to be learning and walking in truth. The Bible word for this, if you want to know like a Bible buzzword, the Bible word for this is sanctification. What is sanctification? Well, we know that when we uh, come into relationship with Jesus, that we become a new person. Coming to church doesn't make us new. Being religious doesn't make us new. Being baptized at summer camp at 10 years old doesn't make us new. What makes us new is relationship with Jesus. And so when we meet Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, sanctification is the process of looking more and living more like our new life, like Jesus. We find ourselves living and looking more like our old life before Jesus. It's because we are believing something that is untrue. But sanctification is learning the truth, understanding the truth, and living the truth so that you more and more are like Jesus. And so Jesus' prayer to God is that you would know the truth. If you're here today and, and you're like, Jason, you keep bringing up this topic, or my growth group keeps bringing up this topic, and it's like, I wish you would just leave it alone. You feel convicted. You feel challenged. What's happening is God is answering Jesus' prayer for you, that you would know truth, that you would learn truth, that truth would come alive in your heart. There's something that he's trying to teach you. And the Bible says that everything in this world will fade away and everything in this world will pass away except the word of God. And so the more that we learn the word and know the word of God, the more we are putting in ourselves the truth that will never go away. Never go away. And so Jesus prays to God, God, I pray that they would know the truth by knowing your word. Those are four pretty great prayers. But he brings it home with number five. It's so great. I want to just give you this last one. This last prayer that Jesus prays for you. You walk into your house. He's in your bedroom. He's praying out loud. You hear him calling your name out. And, and you think he's done. And then he drops this last prayer about you on you. Verse 25, he says, Oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. 
and Jason knows you sent me. Andrea knows you sent me. Steve knows you sent me. Jimmy knows you sent me. He's praying for you. I have revealed you to Jason, to Andrea, to Amanda. I've revealed you to them. And I'm going to continue to do that. Last verse. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. The last prayer that Jesus prayed for you is that you would experience God's love, a prayer to feel loved, a prayer to feel loved. He said, I've revealed them to you. In other words, I I believe now, and Jesus says, so I pray that they would not just know love, learn about love, but I pray that they would feel loved. I pray that they would feel the love of God, the acceptance of God, that they would know that God loves them and knows them. God doesn't just love you. He likes you. And he doesn't just like you. Jesus is praying for you. And when you know that, that's amazing. When you feel it, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. And so it should cause us to leave this room today with just like a little bit more swagger, head a little bit higher. Jesus prayed for my protection. He prayed for my unity. He prayed for my joy. He prayed for me to know the truth, and he prayed for me to feel his love. Who am I? 2,000 plus years ago, four hours before he was going to be arrested, beaten, and killed, that Jesus would pray for me. That's how much he loves you. That's how much. Let's pray together. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, God. Thank you that 2,000 plus years ago, he was thinking about me when he prayed to you. And thank you, God, that I don't have to go through this life afraid of doing this thing on my own, but that the Holy Spirit is helping me and the prayers of Jesus are covering me. And I get to know God. So God, I pray that today you would help us to walk like people who know that we are loved and like people who feel that we are loved by you. God, thank you for not just loving us, but for liking us too. In Jesus' name.